Yo-ho, everybody. If you heard the recent episode on aerodynamics, you'll know that we had Dean Phillips on. He's the master's writer who wanted to achieve aerodynamic perfection, and he's basically done that for himself to be a multiple world champion and world record holder. Some pretty serious accomplishments. And you can guess that after all the time spent thinking about his aero position, he has some sage advice that didn't make it onto the episode. You have to make sure you can stay in that position going all out. So the tricky thing with my with my testings, you have to make sure you can ride in this position when you're going full tilt. And it's very easy to lower the aero bars to a point where your drag gets lower or moving your seat rearward until your drag drops. But the reality is, in, in more often than not, is you're going to lose power. Um, if you're not careful. Now, what Dean's talking about here is basically that the lowest position isn't always the best position. And this is a great example of the types of unexpected discoveries aero testing can uncover. And that's what we're doing today, challenging aero assumptions and the way things have always been done, which is why we brought in some help from this guy. I hate the phrase it's always been done this way. It drives me mad because there's not a reason to do anything if it's always been done like that. You've got to justify it. And there's a lot of people who are anti-change. Uh, and that's definitely not me. I'm always pro-change and especially for the right reason. This is Dan Bingham, who, as you can tell, is passionate about testing assumptions and also agrees with Dean that slamming your stem is the top mistake people can make when trying to get aero. It's just been old wisdom, really, of lowest is fastest and you look back at some of the visions like like Chris Boardman, who was incredibly slammed, and many other top riders. And I think that was back in the day before skin suit technology allowed uh, to well allowed good control of boundary layers, so you could actually tolerate a higher back angle and and get away with it, as it were. Like Dean, Dan spent time testing his aero position, but he also brings a unique and interesting perspective to cycling aerodynamics from his experience as a self-professed aerodynamicist with a motorsport engineering degree and professional experience in Formula One, Dan has worked as a performance engineer with Pace Insights, Drag to Zero, and recently launched What's Shop, a high-performance cycling boutique. What's more interesting about Dan is this aero experience is also combined with being an elite cyclist. 26-year-old Dan has only been racing for four seasons, but was just selected for the Great Britain team for the upcoming Track World Championships. On his way to the World Championships, which, mind you, he did outside of the formal GB system, he's picked up eight British national track titles and rides road professionally for Team Ribble Pro Cycling. So he has some great insights as a successful aero test case and as someone who offers aero testing services. Dan is good at uncovering the unexpected areas where you could make significant aero gains, and a lot of these challenge conventional aero wisdom. Things like clinches are faster than tubulars, or the impact of not wearing socks. Your leg is a cylinder, and uh, cylinders are inherently bad aerodynamically. So if you can uh, create turbulent flow, again, you can reduce the, the form drag uh, around your leg. But in, in simple terms, um, there's a big low-pressure weight behind your leg, and if you can uh, influence how the air flows around your leg, even on a minute scale that, that, that right close to your skin, you can create some pretty big benefits in the region of sort of five to 10 watts of um, sort of time trial loss, CC sort of 45 to 55 kilometers an hour, which is obviously a good old saving just for a pair of socks. In other words, proper socks are better than no socks. Interesting, hey? 
but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. We need to know where to start before changing or buying anything. Semi-Pro Cycling producer Kieran was the one that talked to Dan, and he'll take it from here. When I started talking to Dan, it was clear right from the word go that he's thought about aero a lot and has probably seen loads of mistakes. So I asked Dan about the biggest mistakes he sees people making. Like Damien mentioned at the beginning, Dan stresses that the number one mistake he sees is people trying to get as low as possible. And beyond that, saddle height and saddle position um, can be drastically wrong on a lot of athletes. And if anything, it's not so much an aerodynamic here, but biomechanically, it can be quite poor. Um, and that limits what you can do elsewhere on the bike if the pedaling technique's bad or unstable on the saddle. And so it's all about getting the fundamentals right before you even start testing your assumptions. Now I'm going to repeat something that you've heard a hundred times before. It starts with a bike fit. In the case of aero testing, it's the base of all the work you'll do in making position changes. A qualified bike fitter who has intimate experience with aero positioning can adjust you to a position that is comfortable, powerful and aerodynamic. And you need this baseline or it's easy to get lost in the numbers. While trying to make a position more aerodynamic, you can do more harm than good by adjusting fundamental saddle and aero bar positioning variables. Field testing should only be used for minor changes in position and equipment. Only items that do not affect the sustainability or efficiency of your position should be tested. I wouldn't ignore a uh, professional by any means. You should definitely go down that route whenever you get a new bike. Um, it's, it's very commonplace at the elite level in cycling that start of the year, you get your new team bike, you take it to a bike fit. If things change at the end of the day, your, your body becomes more or less flexible, injuries come and go. Um, You've got to make sure you're set up for the year to come. Um, you've got a new bike, so take that opportunity. So would you would you do a bike fit every once once a year, maybe? Yeah, I definitely would. Yeah, um, there's people that are even more common than that. Um, obviously, it depends how how well your training's going. Is is your body changing a lot? Um, so yeah, there's there's every reason to keep on top of it because it all changes quite quickly. I want to bust in here for a moment with a word of warning. I coach an athlete that is currently transitioning from road time trials to the pursuit on the track. And in his first outing on the track with his new bike, he ended up being in a more extreme position compared to his time trial setup. Of course, this was unplanned because the parts didn't all get in on time, but he ended up doing some serious damage. And while it's not exactly clear why, basically he lost 50% power in his left arm and experienced excruciating pain for weeks. In this case, it could have been from jumping into the extreme position and experiencing nerve root compression at C6 or something unrelated, which he's not entirely convinced of. Either way though, my warning is to take care with position changes. Most people take 12 months to fully recover from incidents like this. Luckily, this athlete has escaped that. But please, please, please take position changes seriously, especially if you are a master's athlete. So once you're all set up on your bike, then you can start testing. It's no good having all the gear and no idea. Testing is now a real option if you want to make aero gains. It's become more popular. As people have realised the importance of aerodynamics and um, probably really started about four or five years ago with, with Sam Smart and, and Matt Botcher, who obviously took the time trial scene by storm. And people, oh, well, Hutchinson as well, really, um, both of them were well ahead of the curve, as it were, with aerodynamics and people have now obviously realised the importance, seen huge gains for it and um, once one person finds a couple of minutes within a few months then suddenly everyone's onto the game. Um, so yeah, it's not so much of an advantage now as playing catch-up. 
Uh, so yeah, it's getting incredibly popular. There's a, a lot of companies who are, are performing aerodynamic testing, and it's it's becoming yeah very very popular. And Valley Jones around the country, yeah, probably half full with um, people on time trial bikes riding around rather than uh, in track bikes. But <laughs> they're, they're good facilities for aerodynamic testing, so it supports them. Then great. In order to make the correct decisions on position and equipment, you need to measure it. Aero testing has become, as Dan says, not so much of an advantage nowadays, but playing catch up. It's a process where real-time coefficient of drag area data, or CDA, is used to optimize your cycling position, equipment, clothing, riding style, or combinations of all three to increase your speed. Because you're actually riding and producing the power output that you produce during racing, changes can be made that are meaningful and valid for actual riding. A first-time aero test may set you back approximately around 700 pounds or 1,000 US dollars, or even more, and the repeat test might cost half of that. Like Dan said, more and more aero coaching services are starting to pop up, and a good option is learning about where you personally can make gains. But what type of gains can you expect? It varies on person to person and what your, and what your sort of goals and targets are. But I'd say on average, most athletes you find the region of 15 to 20 watts at their race velocity. So um, a good benchmark would be uh, 10 watts will save you a second per kilometer. So you're looking at a minute to a minute and a half saving over a 25 mile time trial for most athletes um some can find a whole lot more um some can find noticeably less it's obviously it depends on the level they're coming at and the level they're competing at and the word of warning here there is a chance you may not make any gains especially when it comes to putting your body in a new more aero position the human body is quite weird in that you you may look at it and say well i think if we move it in this this in this way then we should improve your aerodynamics or if we try this helmet, it, it should fit better. But um, quite often people have imbalances, tightness, um, et cetera, that limits what their body can do and, and will stay in. Um, you know, a common one is my teammate Tiffer, who we quite, bring up this, quite often bring up the story where I think we've done three or four aero tests on him now and found the grand total of about six watts, um, <laughs> yeah, which is incredibly annoying. He's... Um, my housemate, my teammate, and I can't can't find much for him. He's just one of those guys that has somehow ended up in what I would say is an aerodynamic op- optimal position. No matter what we do, his body doesn't want to morph and change and, and try something different. So he's kind of stuck where he is. So once your baseline position is set up, it's time to start testing, whether that's with an aero coach or on your own. But where do you start? I asked Dan about where he starts with his clients, something even he struggles with. It's a tough one, really, and uh, there's a lot of chicken before egg scenarios of where, where do you go. Um, so, for example, when I'm error testing clients, I often wonder, do I start, do, do you go through a range of helmets, find the fastest helmets for you and develop around that helmet, or do you find your fastest position and hope that you then find the best helmet to suit that position? Um, but most gains on the whole are around front-end optimization, so stack height, pad width, hand height, uh, and helmet. Uh, that's where I'd say probably 60, 70% of your gains, maybe even 80% can come from. Um, equipment on its whole, yeah, you can you can find a huge amount in wheels and frames, et cetera, but um, that's purely down to the, the big spenders. But you can get probably 80 to 90% of the way there just by focusing on your position and your clothing and your helmet. Uh, if you were to break it down, um, let's say um, total amount of aerodynamic drag, you're talking 20 to 25% is your bike your equipment and around 75 to 80 percent is the rider and how they position themselves so yeah it's it's purely really to to focus on that and and get the rider in a good aerodynamic but also biomechanically efficient and um, comfortable position especially for longer time trials when you're doing 50s hundreds even 12 hours it can be uh, a big factor in how 
well you hold that position and the stability of that in uh, your overall performance. There was something in there that I want to stress by saying again. Making aero gains is not just spending big on frames and wheels. Like Dan says, There's a lot of things that I would put a lot of good money on being classed with riders when you're testing them and they just turn out that they're not. Instead, put your initial time into what I'm going to call the golden triangle of aero positioning, clothing and helmet. By focusing on these three, you can get 60 to 80% of the way there. And when Dan talks about position, he's referring to front-end optimization. So stack height, pad width, hand height and helmet. Even changes such as hand position can be included in this list. For example, thumbs forward. I actually found a study from 2010 called Optimal Hand Position for Individual Pursuit Athletes. It tested the aero drag of four hand positions on aero bars. Hopefully you can picture them. They are 1. Normal hand position. This is the thumbs forward position. 2. Thumbs inside, rotating the hands in from the normal hand position. 3. A fist grip, which is holding the end of the aero bar ends with no gaps in the fingers. And an arrow grip forming an arrow at the end of the bar by touching index and middle fingers. The results? Aerodynamic drag can be reduced significantly by adopting an arrow-style hand position when riding with aero bars. But all of this is down to testing, and along with position gains, there are gains to be made from your equipment choices. But remember, Dan says you can get 60-80% to 80% of the way there by focusing on positioning, clothing and helmet. Here's Dan's final word on positioning. On the whole, I think positions themselves are, are going higher and higher at the front, and skin suit technology is probably helping tolerate that um, in the old days everyone was slamming it and reducing their frontal area whereas now when you can measure the more important factor of drag coefficient rather than the area side you realize that drag is actually just a 3d problem not a two-dimensional problem uh, so it's it's yeah it's not just formulaic and in, in how people are going um, it is just working to the person and to a certain extent experimental trial and error and, and see what works really positioning aside let's have a look at clothing namely what Dan knows about skin suits. It's a hard one, and um, I did a test recently for Cycle Weekly where we brought in, I don't know how many tests, it was something like seven skin suits, six, seven skin suits. We had three test riders, and we tested at 40, 45, 50, and 55 kilometers an hour. And the big take-home was skin suits are incredibly personal to the rider. Um, so there's not really a rhyme or reason for picking one over the other beyond testing it for yourself. I mean, a lot of the top skin suits nowadays are I developed for roughly 45 to 50 kilometers an hour and by racer are getting quite good at developing skin suits that suit certain shapes of riders at certain velocities but um i think it's looking at more of the top brands but then there are there are other brands like velotech that we run we've done in the grand scheme of things relative to some of the top brands minimal aero testing and development but have ended up with a very fast suit probably somewhat by luck but there's a lot in in the design and use of certain materials in certain areas for example the upper arm, where you're using either texture or trip lines or different surface roughness to, to induce what's called turbulence, which can, in certain areas at least, reduce your aerodynamic drag. But to say this suit's faster than that suit is um, kind of ignoring a lot of the, the factors of how aerodynamic drag is produced on a rider. So it's it's hard to be clear on that. I mean, you're seeing we're seeing a lot of kind of, even in road races, people using skin suits as opposed to the typical bibs and, and top kind of set up it's it's worth going down that route at the end of the day you're out there for three four five six hours in road races and if you can ride around even in the peloton saving five watts ten watts that's that's a whole lot of energy that accumulates so you're noticeably fresher by the end of the race and that's at the end of, end of the day that's where races are won and lost really aren't they at, at the back end you can save a huge amount if you're in the break and let's say you're with three other guys taking turns at 45k an hour four hours then 
it's a, it's a long old time trial, really, isn't it? You'd be silly to, to be chucking away 5, 10, 15, 20 watts. So skin suits have the potential, but there are no clear winners. It's just a matter of testing them out for yourself. And I'm going to say the same about helmets. You can find out what Dan uses at the end of the show. But really, like Dan says, you just have to go through a range of helmets to find the one that works for you and your position. Now we can move out of the golden triangle of aero and into other equipment choices. This is kind of the fun stuff because any test results aren't so personal. And there are products that are clear winners. One of the more surprising ones is tires. This is definitely one that goes against the it's always been done this way school of thought. Tubulars or tubs or gluons have been the tyre choice, especially for track racing, for as long as they've been around. But Dan has run the tests and found conclusively that clinchers are faster. And he knows which ones as well. So if you look at it from a tyre dynamics viewpoint, um, a clincher and a tubular behave very, very similarly. People think that, oh, a tubular can go up to 150, 200 PSI and therefore you should run it at that level, which is definitely not correct. Um, you, you, tyre resistance, you can break down into two sort of factors of, uh, what's called hysteresis losses, which in, in simple terms is the energy required to, to deflect the tyre when it goes to the contact patch at the bottom. It's, it's a bit more confusing than that. And then um, when you get to sort of higher pressures or higher velocities or rougher surfaces, you get what's called suspension losses. Um, I think someone's termed it tyre impedance, which is a bit misleading, but um, effectively your tyre starts bouncing. So at higher pressures, you, you effectively can lose out all those benefits you gain from the smooth surface and quite often a significant amount more. The good thing with clinches nowadays is there's a whole lot more development going into them, um, especially with tubeless clinches. So you're not running an inner tube, you reduce the amount of material in the tyre, so you reduce the hysteresis losses and they roll faster because of that. Um, so if you look at a lot of the tyre data out there for the coarser speed, G+, plus, whatever the designation is now from Vittorio, which is pretty much the fastest tyre out there, mm-hmm. you look at a tubular version and their clincher version and the clinchers a whole good way quicker you're talking a good handful of watts per tire uh, which is obviously huge um and i think there's multiple advantages to that as well with the tubeless clincher you've got sealant in there so if you do ever catch a little nick then um nine times out of ten you're probably going to seal it so uh puncture protection's up um clinchers are easy to change uh, just yeah multiple advantages really a cycling product that lives up to its marketing claim because vittoria does actually claim that the Corsa speed tires are the world's fastest tire The other product Dan mentions is Rule 28 Socks, which unbelievably, as Dan said at the start of the episode, have in the region of a 5 to 10 watt saving. A pair will set you back around 30 quid. Not cheap for socks, but definitely worth the gains. Before we finish off with equipment, what other aspects of cycling and aerodynamics does Dan think we'll see in the future? I think we'll definitely see more integration and more different designs so like the 3t strada bike for example you've probably seen that where they've gone single ring no front mech disc brakes etc that um they're pushing what is conventional really mm-hmm. um i think that's going to become more commonplace um i don't think we're going to see any standout wild designs where someone's going to come up with something crazy and funky it's just uci of um put a bit of stranglehold should we say on on the regulations that you, you're working with in quite a tight window so I think we'll just see um, people taking those more innovative solutions and, and bring them all together and making what's quite a unique bike, like the 3T. Stick around until the end of the show if you're interested in exactly what Dan's pursuit setup is. Dan's final bit of advice is a little sneaky, but maybe the last piece of your aero puzzle. There is a lot to be said for that in, in having a look at what the top guys are doing, but equally it is very personal. So yeah, look at what they're doing with their hand position, their elbow position, helmet, skin suit, wheels, tyres, etc. At the end of the day, they're going fast for a reason, um, which can get you 
pretty damn close if you look about do a bit of research on on your equipment and, and what you're trying to achieve but at the end of the day um these professionals are, are in business for a reason because they've got the experience and they can fast track you to, to that fast position or having the right equipment so um you pay obviously pay for the service but um it, it can save you a lot of uh, time effort and money to to get you there quickly i'm going to finish it off here at the end and recap the important takeaways from dan's interview that i learned number one the importance of a good bike fit prior to aero testing number two up to 25 watts are to be gained from aerodynamic testing itself number three most gains are found in front end optimization stack height pad width hand height and helmet are where up to 80 percent of gains can be found position close and helmet are where it's at number four you might not be able to change your body into a more aero position just be prepared for that number five optimizing skin suits socks clinches over tubulars can bring big gains and the final one number six that without spending a lot of money try to emulate as much as comfortably possible from the professionals It's time for the radar, the segment of the show where I talk about something that has popped up on my radar, whether it's a product, study, or performance tip. And today I'm going to squeeze out the last bit of aero into this show with a short roundup of the DIY aero testing options out there. If you're a diehard DIYer, then you're best investing your time into some form of aero online software. This will give you the foundation to run your own tests. There's basically only a couple options at the moment, though. Three, to be exact. Number one, the original and probably still the best is Golden Cheetah's AeroLab. For starters, it's free. It's the program that Dean Phillips uses and a lot of other people, but it is ugly as hell. The user interface is still a little clunky, but it still gives you everything you need to get the job done. Number two is Fast AeroLab. Fast AeroLab provides you with an easy-to-use analysis engine. It's a little more user-friendly than Golden Cheetah's AeroLab with a similar outcome. Plus, it's also free and it is connected to coaching, so you can get some help if needed. Number three, Best Bike Split. It's a math and physics engine that takes your power data, course info, race day conditions to predict your race performance and create the perfect power plan so you can hit your best time. It's still a little fiddly. It's not perfect, but it still can give you your CDA so you can run tests to see what is happening to your CDA after you've recorded a ride. It is the best as far as the user interface goes, but of course you have to pay for that. It's not free. And there is a fourth one here, but it's not really a serious aero testing option for online software. It's Android only, so it's available online. And what it does, it calculates your full frontal area. You take a picture and then it will give you what your full frontal area is in pixels. So you can see any changes that you make if you take a picture, make a change, take another picture. You can see if there's an, a reduction in your frontal area, which is kind of what we spoke about here, that the optimization of your frontal area is the most important thing when it comes to getting started with your aero journey. So this can definitely help you get started, but it's not going to give you the actual CDA numbers of where your aero position is sitting and how much it can actually help you in a race. And that's it. 
pretty slim pickings. I have a feeling that the real-time products that will be out soon, hopefully, will blow all of this software away and it'll be the go-to way to test Aero. I'd like to say that by the end of this year it will be the case, but I think it takes longer than that. Maybe midway through next year until we start to see some real-life implementation of these products. If you are new to Semi-Pro Cycling, check out the back catalogue of shows on all aspects of performance at semiprocycling.com or sign up for the weekly workout stack, the guide that helps you show how to structure your training week and use your training time more effectively. And I'll also send you a best of our episodes straight to your inbox. All right. Well, I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. But stick around if you want to hear Dan's complete pursuit setup. My track bike is a Savelli T4. There's a lot of bikes that we were all looking at as teams, but unfortunately we don't have a frame sponsor and uh, track bikes are quite hard to come by in the right size at the right price. Um, so we went down that route and they are good frames. Uh, Wheels-wise, we've worked a lot with Walker with the wheels and, and developed some really good aerodynamic wheels with those. are really open to just trying different ideas. And he's a mad time trialist from back in the 80s and 90s. And if anything, they're the best kind of people for development. Then at the front end, we're running um, USE. Aero bars, the R1 Aero bars and stem, and it was super clean setup for the T4. And I don't think anybody should ever pick anything else for that bike, in all honesty. So, other than that, there's nothing really stand out with Vittoria Pista Speed tyres. We're on um, peak rings, company called Pyramid Cycle Design. They're the only company in the world who make them. They're a special type of carbon fiber composite that are really, really good for reducing the drivetrain resistance. Uh, so again, that's a cool little thing that we're doing that a lot of other teams aren't. Uh, and then everything else is reasonably standard off the shelves here. Yeah, our Rule 28 socks, Valtech skin suits, Fiero shoes and helmet.